heart and made their best life. The idea, of course, is that your true self is deep within. You just have to dig around and find it and let it out. But again, I just want to linger on that. I want to press that thinking into God for a little bit and see what happens. Because I reckon that for all the good that you and me can do, and we can do a lot of good, I still can't seem to shake the fact that when I look deep inside my heart, I find bits and pieces that have the capacity to damage myself and my relationship with others. I often find my heart's too narrow-sighted and doesn't live much more than just for a few minutes at a time. And so the question is, what if our hearts are just a little bit more complex than a nice saying? And I think the Bible is actually really helpful on this. It's humbling, but helpful. It describes the heart not as a GPS to our best life, but as something that needs God's renewal over it. Our heart needs to be renewed by God to make sense of it. For example, the Bible tells us that, honestly, that our hearts are actually corrupted by sin. Now, I know this idea of sin is not popular today. I read an article in the Daily Mail this week ridiculing a church for saying that sin begins in us. The article goes on to say it's absurd and evil that your heart would have the capacity to lead you astray and that the language of sin in my heart is harsh and archaic. But to make sense of the evil out there, we have to have a good look at what's going on in here. In Proverbs 6.18 says, The heart devises wicked schemes. Psalm 12.2 reminds us that everyone lies by flattery with their lips, but harbors deception in their hearts when they do that. Psalm 14.1 says, A fool says there is no God in their heart. And Jeremiah 17.9 famously declares, The human heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That is, because the heart's a tricky beast, and you know that, I'm sure, it's hard to follow and make sense of at times. The Bible goes on and explains that our heart problems come from Adam and Eve back in Genesis. Our sinful nature comes from them. We are both sinners because we sin, and we sin because we are sinners. It means we need to be saved from our heart. It's right to say that, which is what the Bible does. But it does more than that. Like a good GP, God reveals the problem, our hearts, but then he offers the solution to, in Ezekiel, the Old Testament prophet, God promises he will do the heart surgery you and me need to remove a stony, hard, unfeeling heart in his people, give them a soft, squishy, plush, healed heart, ready to follow him. David prays that God would search his heart in Psalm 139 because only God really knows what's going on inside of us, which means it's not up to us to figure out our hearts all on our own. Jesus teaches that a good person acts out of their good heart, Matthew 12:35. He also says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in me, not in yourself, John 6:35. You see, God's vision is to guide and instruct our heart. John goes on to say that because of Jesus, our hearts don't have to condemn us and weigh us down with guilt and shame, 1 John 3, 21, because Jesus takes that away. And James, the brother of Jesus, elaborates further, promising that Jesus will purify our hearts, James 4, verse 8. 
Paul writes he finds great refreshment for his heart with other Christians in Philemon 7. And the psalmist rejoices deep in his heart because God has saved him. And then in 1 Thessalonians 3.13, God's word encourages our hearts. Given all that, it would be wrong to say your hearts are unable to do good. I love my wife deeply from my heart. My kids make my heart ache when I hug them. Running refreshes my heart and a good glass of red, a wood fire pizza and an open fire makes my heart glad. Amen. But you know, my best moments, my heart is still sinful and sick. It is still deceived, even around a campfire with my wife and kids. It's the selfish. It's selfish. It turns out my heart isn't a reliable GPS. But Jesus is. He came for my heart to make them new, to be Lord over them. So today, let's look at just what that means. I have one simple story, two stunning admissions, and then one sentence to live by to unpack this. One simple story, two stunning admissions, and then one sentence to live by. So Mark 7, Jesus is at a meal in someone's house. And at this meal, like it so often happens around your dinner table or with your family, conversations happen, and then you learn things about people over a meal, don't you? And you say, wow, I didn't know that. And at this particular meal, the Pharisees learn that Jesus hasn't been teaching what they expect him to. Jesus is a teacher. The Pharisees are those that guide and, and they, they, form, um, they, they interpret the law for God's people. And Jesus hasn't been doing what they think he should do. And in this instance, Jesus' disciples don't wash their hands properly before they eat. Now, this isn't to be hygienic. This is to be ceremonial clean. What is that? And why does that matter? Well, to help grasp the significance of this chapter, you'll notice there are three sections that mark the author brackets for us. These are his editorial comments, just to linger over and let the weight of this sit, sit on us a bit more. And this is the first bracket section in 3 to 4, Mark 7, 3 to 4. He gives us these comments so we understand. We have to realize that being in a state of defilement means that you can't interact with God in his space at the temple. It wasn't necessarily a sin. Sometimes, in this instance, if you just went to the market and did life, you would get stained with a defiled thing, right? A cup, for example, here, needed to be washed so you were not defiled. And so, to explain this concept of being ceremonial, clean and unclean, and how to get right with God again, the Pharisees began putting fences around God's commands. Think about it like a policy that you have at work to explain something. There's a law and there's a policy that works out what that looks like. And Mark says, so they did it with cups and kettles and pitchers. They have to be washed in a certain way. And over time, this policy started to sound like God's written law. And the Pharisees are now equating their idea, their fence, to exactly what God has once said. These things happen in our church today, anywhere where people meet, in fact. What starts as a cultural habit or opinion or an expression of how you follow God eventually becomes a guiding norm, not just a preference or a method. Think about some things that are pointy and divide some people, like communion or baptism, the reason we gather, music, creation, what we should do for mission, church structures, 
And those things become so elevated, you create a culture in your gathering. And this is not written down, but you say things like, to be a Christian, we trust Jesus and our view on this matter. And if you don't hold Jesus in our view, you're not really a Christian, are you? Maybe you've been there. Now, in this instance, Jesus is accused of that same thing because he hasn't been teaching his followers about the Pharisees' fence, their tradition, their policy of cup washing. So they say to him, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? You have to understand that from their point of view, it looks like Jesus doesn't care about God's holiness because if he did, he would make sure they weren't defiled, right? They reckon Jesus doesn't have a fence. He's just knocked them down. And... But actually, Jesus does. It's just really different to the Pharisees. The issue wasn't the tradition or wanting to not be defiled. It's the Pharisees have made their tradition equal to God's law. And instead of helping people come to God, it actually hindered them. And so Jesus replies using a phrase that's as clever as it is powerful in verse 6. And he says, It is written... It is written appears in the Gospels when Jesus points to God's words to explain something that someone has missed. You see it in the Sermon on the Mount all the time. It is written, it is written. You have heard, but I say it is written. And then he quotes Isaiah 29, 13. It's written, if you think you have elders on your side, I've got Isaiah. Listen to this. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Two parts of the human body. Did you pick what they are? Lips, hearts. Honouring me with your lips is to sing, say, pray, do everything that looks spiritual and that's good. Except there's a but. Their hearts are far from me. Which means all the things you do and show never, never, never drip with love and awe and praise and joy and the beauty of God as revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You do things because you must. The church has to have you. You think you're important. Actually, no. You do it because Jesus is beautiful and you love him to bits. To say it another way, their lips and their hearts are out of sync. And how do they get out of sync? Well, listen to where Jesus locates it. He goes on, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. It's a worship issue. That's the problem. You see, a worship of God must be informed by his word. And when this doesn't happen, you give worth to human rules or methods of ministry. You the worship you hold on to with white knuckles is a structure and opinion of God, but not God. And in doing so, your heart drifts away from God because worship of God gets in the way of how you think something should be done. But true worship of God is informed by His Word and it flows into every area of life. And Jesus then pulls on that and says, let me give you another example of how you're doing this. Oh, not that one. Um, he points to another example where worship should inform them, God's word should guide them, and he talks about family. Can you see that our hearts and worship and the word of God are all interconnected? So Jesus says, looking after your parents is worship of God. And he's not talking to kids. Adults, 
God is pleased when you care for mum and dad all the days of your life. Now, the religious fence didn't agree with that. If something that can help good old mum and dad is Corbin, and Mark brackets a second one to make us understand what is Corbin, it just means something devoted to God. If something's devoted to God that mum and dad can use, you get out of helping them, and God's an excuse. And in 7.13, Jesus says, that thinking nullifies God's word because it breaks the fifth command. The point is that God never wants to be an excuse for not doing good. After all, God and his word informs what we do. We now have a reference point for what is good, not just what we decide from our hearts. And can you see how Jesus is not concerned with the inside of a cup anymore? He's long forgotten about that. He's concerned about the inside of our hearts. You know, last week, I was on the way to a very important meeting. And I'm a very important person. And so I left to make sure I wasn't going to be late to a very important meeting because other very important people needed me to be at this very important meeting. And I left early. And I was going to get there on time. And on the way around the last corner to get to my very important meeting, because I'm a very important person, a car broke down, and I said, I can't help you because I'm a very important person going to a very important meeting. I'm a pastor doing ministry things. And I drove away. And that stinks. That's Corbin. I'm devoted to God. I can't help you. Who cares if I'm late for two minutes? No one. I did. Because I thought in my heart, I'm better than what I am. And maybe you've done that this week. Well, we're the same. Because our hearts are the problem. And it stinks that I did that. Ask yourself, do you hold on to a way of doing life that would find little support from God but sounds very biblical, like me? Are you able to distinguish your preference from a command of God? And then, if it's, then it gets even worse because Jesus makes two stunning admissions now. He's hit a nerve, right? He's hit this nerve and, and he goes out the house and he, he calls the, the crowds now, not just the disciples. He says to them, team, listen to me and understand this. Just like when he said, it is written. This is God speaking. Don't confuse your tradition that you've heard with God's voice. Listen to me, everyone. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. What's the two stunning omissions? Food can't defile you. You defile you. But notice what he doesn't say. Jesus does not say you can't be defiled by outside things. Many of you have felt someone else's heart bubble over and defile you. And they've hurt you. And so 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we feel the effects of other people's defilement. And that's hard. You see, here Jesus addresses the issue of washing your hands in a certain way before eating, as if food that goes in and comes out the other end, literally into the toilet, can make you defiled before God. Defiled 
that word that's repeated comes from this idea, a group of words that talks about a partnership with something common, a common partnership. And this common partnership makes you unclean before God. And where is this defiling, uncommon partnership found, Jesus says? In me. It's not outside in like food. It's inside out. And when those heart things come out, they affect us, they defile us and others. And then he drops the bomb and he goes back inside and the disciples go, What? You've undone everything we heard from the Pharisees their entire life about washing in a certain way. You're saying the cup isn't the issue but it's my heart? Whoa, your entire life. Jesus just pulls it apart in a moment. And they question him in verse 17. And Jesus says, are you dull? Guys, you're blind to my teaching. They might be dull, but Jesus is so sharp. How can food defile you before God? Its whole mission in life is a one-way trip out your body. You don't put defilement into you. Your heart gives birth to it. Think of it this way. You're the parent of the desires that make you unclean. You give birth to them. And that's huge. Oh. And then Mark adds another bracket, if you notice, in 19, just to help us get our heads in this. Jesus declares all food clean. And, and it will take more years for the disciples and the, the new church to understand this. But if you're concerned that food will affect your relationship with God, don't worry about that. Give more thought to the state of your heart than your barbecue hot plate. But of course, I'm sure none of you have thought this week, gee, I shouldn't eat that because God may not be pleased, I might defile myself. That's not an Aussie way to think. But just think about what Jesus goes with this. He's introducing a category, category of thinking that says the heart's the issue. And us Aussies don't think that way about the heart. We follow it, we let it guide us. What a kind heart she has. What big-hearted people they were. We never consider that the heart can be something that, that can both lead us astray, that can image God and his kindness to others, but also needs to come under the lordship of Jesus at the same time. And, and just to make sure that you don't feel any good about yourself at this moment in time, Jesus labors the point and bookends his final few comments in verse 20 and 23 with the same thing. He says, um, all, of these evils, all these evils come from inside and defile a person. 20 and 23. Then he, then he lists 12 thoughts. 12 thoughts. Not, this is not daydreaming. This is thinking towards an action. It's reasoning intentionally when he says thoughts. Now, these first six are very easy to spot. To find out you've been cheated on, have been lied to, doesn't that gut you? The deception you feel when someone else lies, doesn't, it hurts, doesn't it? Especially if it's someone close to you. Our heart aches and it's, it's, it's sad, there's pain, trust is gone. So they're easy to spot in some ways, but the latter six... They're harder to detect in ourselves and others, but they just do just as much damage. How many times has deceit fueled some of your actions? How many times has arrogance motivated you to care or speak up? Harder to detect, no less painful, no less defiling, and no less hurtful when, when there, it comes out in the relationship. You see, Jesus and the Pharisees, at this, they both agree we can be defiled. The point of difference is how and where. Six times Jesus says in these 23 verses, the heart, the heart, the heart is what defiles you. 
In fact, he ends this by mic-dropping that very verse and just, that's it. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Boom! And I think he does that because no matter how much you sit here and want to argue and point and push and debate this matter, the end of the matter is always the heart. The landing platform is always the heart, right? Where does the stuff come from? The answer every time, in me. What about this? Keep pushing it further and lower and deeper. Where are you going to get to every single time? Oh yeah, it's my heart. The Pharisees are concerned with cups and hands. Jesus is concerned with hearts and thoughts. Therefore, let's not be deceived at how nice we can be. Because Jesus makes it clear it's worse than you can imagine. But the great news is it's better than you hoped. Because instead of trying hard to stuff those thoughts inside, instead of feeling defeated when you wake up, or acting as if they're not really there, Mark has been showing us over the last however many weeks we've been in Mark's gospel, week after week, this is who Jesus is. Just listen. We've seen Jesus coming in Mark 1 as the Lord and the Messiah telling us to repent towards his kingdom. We've seen Jesus having authority over the sick, over death, over time, over rest, over wisdom, over creation, over religion. Over and over again, this is the Jesus we've been seeing. And today we see that Jesus comes to bring the kingdom of God to one of the most uncomfortable and confronting parts of you and me, our hearts. Every defiling thing listed there, every defiling thing in your life, in your heart, it finds cleansing in Jesus. How? Not from water, but from washing with Jesus' blood. When Jesus died on that cross, His blood goes deep enough to clean our heart, our very conscience, Hebrews 10 says. Which means, as a follower of Jesus, you have one sentence to live by, follow Jesus, not your heart. Friends, this week, when you feel your heart give birth, to these thoughts, when you feel the contractions inside of you at work, when you feel it online, when you feel it in your family, when you feel it just waking up some mornings, may you know these three simple, beautiful things. May you know that Jesus is Lord of your heart. Ask Him to be. May you know that His blood cleanses our hearts and our conscience that defiles us. And may you let the joy of Jesus, His cross, His blood, let that cause you to worship Him in thanksgiving for a better vision of life, a better way of life than your heart could ever imagine. Because Jesus wants to be Lord over your heart He comes to clean your heart and make it new and we worship in that joy that he gives. Because I reckon that at the end of the matter, following him is so much better than following my heart. Do you agree? Let's pray. Jesus, you see us, you know us, you love us a bit, even when our hearts deceive us and are dull to you, 
And so, Father, by your Spirit, remind us that you have come to be Lord over our hearts as to every part of our life, that by the cross of Jesus and his blood, that cleanses us, it forgives us for the sins we have done and cleans us from the defilement in us and from others. May we joyfully worship you from that position all of the days of our life. So, Lord, encourage us. You're not here to make us feel guilty, but to remind us of your grace to us. May we now sing of that and praise you for what, who you are and what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.